Bayou City, happy Sunday morning. It's good to be here with you today. Uh, I'm Pastor Johnny Marks. I am the lead pastor at our Cypress Church, and it is a privilege to be together today uh, as God's people in his house, uh, even if you're in your house, because he dwells in us. We get to, to live together in that. Um, I loved how uh, Pastor Kevin last week talked about uh, having soft hearts and a thick skin because it seems in today's world, that's what it's going to take for us to survive. Uh, somebody said it like this to me one time. They said, you have to have the heart of a dove, but the skin of a rhinoceros. And I thought that was really helpful because um, it helps us as believers know we have to be able to stand firm while also loving in difficult times. Um, one of the movies that I remember watching, I've seen all of the movies in the series. It's the Rocky series, and I don't know if you've watched the Rocky movies, but the Rocky movies I love because I have a very physical reaction when I watch the movies. Every time. I know how they end because every single movie is the same. That's why we love them. The reason is because in the last round, Rocky's face looks like hamburger. He is getting the junk beat out of him. And he's down for the count. He gets knocked down a hundred times. And a hundred times Rocky gets up. And every time it happens, my palms get sweaty. You ever watch movies? Your palms get sweaty. My heart's pounding. And I'm, 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 it's like I'm at the side of the ring and I'm saying, get up, get up, get up. And every single time that Rocky gets knocked down, Rocky gets up. He gets counted down. One, two, and they count all the way to nine. And before the end of the count, Rocky stands back up to go back into the fight. And I don't know how you feel these days, but as a pastor and a shepherd, what I feel is that we are wobbling as the church of Jesus Christ, saved by grace through faith. We as a church are being beaten up. I feel like we're in this great battle. I feel like we're in this great fight. And it seems to me that we've been knocked down again and again and again. And the thing that's going to change the world is that you and I as believers have to stand back up again. We have to stand back up. We're fractured. We're broken and I feel like in this time of our culture that we are down for the count. I don't know. What do we do? What do we do? And I think there's a few things that have caused us to get to this place. We forgot who we're fighting. We forgot how to fight together. And we've forgotten that it's our job to stand back up. I don't want to talk about what that might look like as we get into the scriptures today. We'll be in Ephesians 6, and we'll be in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. You might know it as the armor of God passage. But I think in that we find who it is that we're fighting, how we're supposed to fight, and what we're called to as believers. And so if you're not a Christian today and you're watching, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a privilege that God would bring you into this. And so I'm going to you get kind of off the hook. I will tell you this. If you're not a believer and you're watching the church struggle Please have mercy on us. We're sorry. We're human beings, like I said, saved by grace through faith. So we don't always get it right. Here's what it says. I want to give you a little background. Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians. And in this letter to the Ephesians, if Ephesus and Houston are not actually much different. right? Religion, politics, economics were so tied together that sometimes you couldn't really tell which was which. You ever feel that way? Listen, if you look around... Today, it's kind of hard to tell which is which sometimes. 
while we have been given a very sturdy foundation and a very clear path to walk together in. And here's uh, some more. So um, there was a lot of strong opposition to the gospel in Ephesus. Paul is writing actually been chained to a guard, a Roman guard, which is where the picture of um, the armor of God comes from. And so with him chained there, right, chained for the gospel, this is why he was tied to this guard, right? He's got this picture in his head. And so he writes this to the Ephesians who are experiencing turmoil, great opposition as a church. So he writes this letter to the Ephesians. I would um, really encourage you, if you've not read the book of Ephesians in a while, go back and read the whole thing. So when you get to this, you'll understand the the full context. We don't have time to go through the whole book, uh, though I wish that we could. Ephesians 6, Paul is writing to a hurting, at times fractured church. Here's what it says. Let's start in verse 10. Finally, after all the things that I've written to you thus far, finally, he says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let's stop there for a second. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. See, if we're going to stand together as believers, if we're going to take our stand We have to understand whose power we're working on. I don't know about you, but my power usually ends with sin and brokenness. I don't have the ability, right, to fix anything in my own strength. I wonder if we could agree on that. Where has your power gotten you? My power got me death and separation from God. That's where my power got me. And I lived in that for a long time. And I still find that sometimes I keep trying to operate in my own strength And when that happens, I feel like the end result is usually never what we're looking for. Love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, all the fruits of the Spirit of God. And he says, instead, if we're going to stand together as a body of believers, we have to be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Because His mighty power has given us salvation and freedom and peace and grace and mercy. Right? That's what God's mighty power has gotten us. And so if we're going to stand as Paul is telling the Ephesians, if you're going to stand in turmoil, if you're going to stand, right, to be in the fight, and we'll talk about what that fight actually is, you're going to have to do so in the mighty power of the Lord. He goes on. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. Right, this is a, an imperative. The, the Greek, the, the background of this, this uh, the verbiage is, an imperative, like, there's an urgency to put on the armor of God. And you can't pick and choose the armor of God. You have to put on all of it. And we're going we're gonna to talk through what each piece of that is and why it's important. But he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against who? Against your brother or sister in Christ. That's not what my scripture says. So that you can take your stand against everybody on the outside of the church. That's not what my version says either. So that you can take your stand against the politicians and the organizations and the people that are around you that hurt you, that's who we take our stand against. That's not what my scripture says. But this is the fight we're fighting, isn't it? 
It says to take your stand against the devil's schemes. And this is the oldest, weakest, lamest scheme that has been. And it's destroying the church right now. The devil's schemes are no different than they were in the garden. And they're subtle. See, the devil's subtle. See, if the devil wasn't subtle, we wouldn't be having a problem. We would stand together arm in arm, face to face, and we would move forward, we would advance, and we would say, no, I will not take that lie. I will not take that deception. I will not take that subtle half-truth and live in it. But putting on the full armor of God, the devil's schemes, here's what his aim is. Let's talk about it for a second. The schemes of the devil are to get your eyes fixed on somebody other than Jesus, right? Fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith is what the scripture says. But the devil will have us drop our eyes, drop our gaze to something lower. He's subtle, right? Think about in the garden, what did he say? Oldest, the oldest trick in the book. Did God really say, is that really the truth? He's always trying to get us to question the truth of who God is, of what he has to offer. He is, after all, a killer. He's a liar. He's an accuser. His scheme is to steal, kill, and destroy. His aim is to rob believers of the spiritual blessings that they have been given in God and Jesus Christ. His, his aim is to rob unbelievers of the salvation which is theirs to have. Listen, Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the whole world, right? His aim is to get people to not believe that, to rob them of the blessing of grace and mercy. And to take away a believer's joy, to take away a believer's peace, and the freedom that they've been given in Jesus is the enemy's aim. Let's keep going. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. Listen, to have a spiritual battle requires spiritual armor. We don't go out swinging swords and slinging stones and dropping grenades all over the place because we're not fighting a human battle. We are fighting a spiritual battle, and that battle is for the hearts, minds, and souls of every human being on the earth. If you're wondering... If anybody that you have been in contact with isn't part of that, if they have life and breath in their lungs, your battle is not against them. Your battle is not against them. It's against spiritual forces, and that requires spiritual armor. So here's where he goes. Remember, Paul is chained to a Roman guard who is probably wearing armor. And so he has this wonderful picture. Here's what he says. Therefore... If we know that our fight is not against flesh and blood, if we know that the people or the things that we are to stand against are not flesh and blood, and we know that the battle's spiritual and in the heavenly realms against forces of evil in the heavenly realms, this is what it says. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, that you may be able to be stable and sufficient and prepared, that you may be not tossed around, that you might be able to stand firm 
without wobbling legs, that you would be able to get up and stand there and take it. But you have to put on the full armor of God. And after you have done everything, to stand. Are you getting the picture? Paul is trying to help them understand, listen, you've been knocked around, you've been beat up, you have been divided and fractured, but I am telling you that your battle is not against those men and women who you are fighting. It's not against uh, Diana or the, the Ephesians, you know, Artemis of the Ephesians. This is not about idolatry. This is about the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms, and you need to be able to stand firm, and I'm about to tell you how. And this is what he says. Stand firm then. (laughs) Stand firm. He says, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, and with this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the saints. The first thing that we have to put on to equip ourselves with in this spiritual battle is the belt of truth. It is at the central place on a a person's body. And this belt was the first thing that they would put on Because everything else hung on it. The belt of truth. And in the spiritual realm, there is only a truth, a one truth, that our the rest of these spiritual armor pieces can hang on. It is God's truth. It is not my truth or your truth, their truth or the we truth. It is always about God's truth. It is the foundation, the one thing that we can be sure of. Because it is God that gave it to us. Because in God, we have all things, right? That's what we have. He gave us the truth. And there's another imperative here. Stand firm with the belt of truth around your waist. It denotes an urgency when he says stand firm. Uh, If you ever watched a Patriot, I'm a movie guy, I love movies. So like the Rocky movies are all the same. There's like three Mel Gibson movies that are all the same, right? You have the Patriot, Braveheart. Oh, and then Gladiator is kind of the same thing. So that's not Mel Gibson, but it's another one. And here's the thing in the Patriot, when the line, as they're going out to battle, and the line begins to break, what do they yell? They look down the line and they say, hold, hold, stand firm, don't retreat, don't turn around. Put on the belt of truth. There is no my truth or your truth. There is your experience and my experience. And no one can invalidate those things. But there is only one truth. And that is God's truth. And it must inform everything that we say and do in this world. As Christians. Now again, if you're not a believer, that's different. That's another conversation. But as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have an obligation to allow the truth of God to inform everything that we say and do. Everything. What's the truth? Let's talk about it. Here's the fundamental truth that we stand. The reason we are sitting, standing, whether you're visiting in your living room, the reason you and I are in this space together is because of this truth. That God, holy and perfect, desired to create you and I 
And let me be clear on you and I who that is. If you are Nigerian, if you are European, you are Spanish, if you are white, if you are black, if you are Mexican, if you are from Guatemala, if you are from El Salvador, if you are from Ethiopia, if you are from anywhere on the planet, you were created in God's image to be in an intimate, loving relationship with him. And no one can tell you different than that. Go to Psalm 139. You're a wonderful work of God, which means you have value because God says you do. And no one can take that away from you. That's the truth. The truth is that in his image we were made to be in relationship and because of my sin, I am separated from God because I hurt people and I've lied and I have lusted and I have stolen and I have all the things that you and I do. It is our fault, it is my fault that my relationship with God is broken. And because of that, I require a savior because there's nothing the Bible says, the truth is nothing I can do. I can't do anything to fix it. The truth is that God said, I love you too much to let you stay separated, so I'm gonna send my one and only son a perfect substitution, a perfect sacrifice who came down, lived the perfect sinless life and chose on purpose to take the punishment from my sin and yours, which is death. And he was crucified and was buried because of my sin and your sin. And the truth is that the only reason that we have standing before God is because by the power of God, he raised him from the dead, resurrected to new life, which gives us hope. And anybody, anybody, anybody who receives that truth, who will say, yes, God, I am a sinner and I am separated, but only through Jesus Christ. Can I be saved and in your, in your presence and do I have standing with you? We'll receive that, anybody. That's the truth. The belt of truth has to be the foundation of everything that we do. And the truth is we can live different lives. We must live different lives. Satan isn't scared of a Christian with a political or social ideology. He doesn't, he's not concerned with you. But Satan is terrified of men and women, children of any race and color or creed or nationality or heritage. He is terrified when they will stand firm together in the truth of the gospel and fearlessly preach new life and hope in Jesus Christ. That terrifies our actual enemy because... When people come to know Jesus Christ, their life changes forever. And no one can take that away from that person. No one. I better hustle. That's one part of the armor. He goes on and he says this. After you put on the belt of truth, you better hang on there, the breastplate of righteousness. And you put it in place. That breastplate of righteousness guards our heart the righteousness of Christ, every part of the armor is Jesus. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is righteousness that we need and it guards our heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for it is a wellspring of life. He goes on and he says this, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
A lot of people misinterpret this. They say the shoes of peace. This is not the shoes of peace. It's the shoes of readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In other words, if we're going to stand firm, we need the truth. If we're going to stand firm, we need to stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. If we're going to stand firm, we have to have on our feet readiness. And that readiness to stand firm doesn't come from our own strength as we've already read. It comes from the gospel of peace. And the gospel of peace is that we have peace with God through Jesus. And he goes on and he keeps talking. He says, listen, not only do you need the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, you get to take up the shield of faith, which extinguishes all the flaming arrows of the evil one. All the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now the shield, the Roman shield was a wood shield wrapped in leather, and they would soak the leather so when the archers would would launch their fiery arrows, it would hit and extinguish those flaming arrows. Now, here's what we need to understand. This shield of faith, right, is a shield of confidence also. Because here's the thing. The reason that you and I are fighting as Christians, the reason that you and I are beating each other up in the ring The reason that you and I aren't getting along is because we aren't confident enough that our faith matters and that it's enough. So that when somebody says something, we are offended. We have a, as Kevin alluded to last week, we have a soft skin and a soft heart, which usually then turns into soft skin and a hard heart. And then that's when we end up in the ring for the countdown. Because we don't have the confidence that our faith in Jesus is enough. And it's meant to be right in front of us. So when the enemy shoots these arrows, and it's constant, it's incessant, it never ends, he just continually throws it, doesn't he? And when you're down for the count, the devil doesn't actually care how you feel about it. The devil doesn't care if you're comfortable or you're offended or not offended. The devil is going to throw those arrows. When you fall down, he's going to kick you when you're down because that's how he works. Steal, kill, and destroy. That's who we are actually up against. And it is our job as Christians when those flaming arrows, if my shield is broken, I expect a brother or sister to put theirs in front of me and give me a hand. And I expect to do the same for them. Because that's how the church is supposed to operate. To stand firm then with all of the armor of God on. That shield of faith in front. Those flaming arrows, they're lies, they're subtle, right? They're men's ideas. Politics. Flaming arrows the devil uses to turn us against one another and to wound our witness to the world. He goes on. And he says this. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. These are the last two things that a soldier, you would put on the belt of truth, they put on their breastplate, they would put on their shoes, right? They would take up their shield, and the last two things they would grab was going to be their helmet, because their helmet was heavy and arduous, and it didn't feel very good, and their sword, which is the only thing we're offered in these scriptures as an offensive weapon, because I don't know if you have picked it up yet. It's not. He doesn't say get up and advance, 
See, we don't stand, we don't fight the devil for victory. We fight the devil in victory and we don't have to advance because that's what God's already done. It is our job to maintain, to stand firm, to withstand the onslaught together as brothers and sisters in Christ in order that we maintain the victory that has already been given to us through Jesus. We hold the territory. Hold as we stand firm together. The helmet of salvation. There's a pastor who uh, wrote a sermon a number of years ago and he, he talked about this and he said the problem is is that the church is trying to stand their ground only in the helmet of salvation. And he said we don't need Christian streakers. Right? Going into battle just with your helmet on is going to get you killed. Right? We have to go in with the full armor of God. We want to go in with the helmet of salvation, but we totally forget all the rest. That would be silly. Almost done. And he says, and pray on all occasions in the Spirit. All kinds of prayers and requests, and with this in mind, be alert. So the way that we take up this Spiritual armor is through prayer and being alert. There's a wonderful book. It's called The Kneeling Christian. It says, We may rest assured of this. A man's influence in the world can be gauged not by his eloquence or his zeal or his orthodoxy or his energy, but by his prayers. To be little with God in prayer is to be little for God in service. Much secret prayer means much public power. Much secret prayer means much public power. And this is my favorite line of the entire book. Let every one of us on our knees ask this question. If no one on earth prayed for the salvation of sinners more fervently or more frequently than I do, how many of them would be converted to God through prayer? If nobody on earth prayed as much as you, how many people would be converted? That's terribly convicting to me. If you don't listen to anything else in the whole sermon, I hope you'll hear this. For the church to stand firm against our actual enemy and against his schemes, we must do so together. We must do so in Christian unity, but Christ-centered unity will always come at the cost of self. At the cost of self. Here's what I'm going to have my friends. um, Would you guys join me for a second? I've asked Chris and Flo to come up here because I want us to get a picture. Because in the Roman Guard, if you've ever seen or a documentary, you've seen movies about Roman soldiers, they were the most feared because they were almost invincible. Because they never retreated. They were always forward-facing. And so what you'd have is you'd have men together, arm in arm, standing side by side, totally clothed in their armor. Breastplate, helmet belt of truth, shoes of readiness, and they would have their shield. They'd have a shield here, and they would have a shield above them. And so when the flaming arrows came, nothing got through. They never retreated. They just stood firm. As Christians, this is the picture of what Paul is talking about. United together, arm in arm, facing forward, standing firm in Jesus. If we don't do this, If we don't do this, we're going to continue to be on the canvas and we're going to get counted out. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate you.
I want to give you this in closing. If we're going to stand, we have to stop infighting. We have to stop dropping verbal grenades at one another and responding with a bazooka and then responding with a tank because the whole world is watching. So if you're online and you think that it's important to be right and not reconciled, you're going to continue to drop these bombs. But the reason that people will not come to Christ is because we're in the way, because we won't stop beating each other up for the whole world to see. So if you need to take a break, take a break. What I'm not saying is that you shouldn't have the conversation. Whether it be corona or race, which is much more important than corona, about things that need to change in our world, have the conversation. But that's not what's happening. What we are doing, brothers and sisters, is beating each other up. We are essentially not standing together. What we're doing is we're standing behind and we're wounding each other. We're, we're wounding each other, and when we fall, what we're doing is we're kicking each other when we're down. The devil doesn't care. All he's doing is over there laughing. He's not even having to fight. He can just stand on the sidelines because we're doing his job for him, and it's time to stop. We have to stop the infighting if we're going to stand together. T, take up the whole armor, and it has to start with the truth. We have to be aware, the A, to be aware if we're going to stand, we've got to stop infighting, take up the whole armor of God. We have to be aware of the enemy's schemes, not flesh and blood, remember? We have to never, ever stop praying. Never stop praying. Never stop praying. Not praying for our brothers and sisters. Never stop praying for our, our friends who are not Christians, who seem to be the enemy. If you're not praying for your enemies, you're not doing your job as a Christian. I'm not doing my job as a Christian. And the last is to deny self daily. True Christian unity, Christ-centered unity, which is what it's going to take to stand firm, will require us to deny ourselves every single day. Deny yourself. Do you care more about being right or being reconciled? If we're going to stand firm, we must do those things. Closing today, I want to encourage us the church ministers by persuasion, not propaganda. We share God's truth, not man's religious lies. Our motive is love, not anger, and the glory of God, not the praise of men. This is why the church goes on and on, and we have to keep it that way. When we stand before God, when you and I stand before God and are held accountable for every careless word that we've ever spoken, when we are held accountable for the things that we have done, may we not be counted with the unmerciful servant who was shown grace and mercy and immediately went out and strangled his fellow servant because he had none. May we not be counted when we stand before God with the Pharisee at the front of the church who stood up and banged his chest and basically said, God, I'm so thankful that I'm a righteous man. I'm not like this poor man in this bag, the sinner in the back of the room. I don't want to be counted with either one of those men, but what if we're counted with the disciples who went out as sheep among wolves? Sending out with the gospel and the glory of God, with the truth that there is hope and mercy, that there is freedom, true freedom that can be had right now on this earth in Jesus Christ. I want to be counted among those who were martyred for the sake of the gospel, 
who went out and loved fiercely even at the cost of their own lives. But I want to do so in a way that glorifies God first and doesn't have anything to do with my own power. And I'm going to challenge you to do the same thing. And as the church, we can stand firm against the enemy's schemes. We can stand firm. Held accountable for the right things. Heavenly Father, only you have what we need. Only you, O oh God, can bring Christ-centered, God-honoring unity. But you have to get us out of the way. And we have failed, Lord, at this. I have failed at this. As a church, Lord, we need your help. I implore you, O oh God, help us to stand firm in Jesus for your sake. Amen.